Makers of Sport Podcasts, Episode 30, Halftime. Welcome to Makers of Sport Halftime, the 20-minute show on the off weeks of interviews where I discuss topics such as professionalism, entrepreneurship, and business to help you and your careers so that you can apply it to the sports industry. This is episode 30, you all. I never thought that, honestly, we'd make it this far. If I knew probably how much work this podcasting stuff is from the beginning, I probably never would have even done it. Sometimes I guess naivete can be a bit of a blessing in disguise. I know I keep talking about how hard this stuff is, and y'all probably get tired of hearing about it. I know that you do, but I truly have a deep respect for those that have been doing podcasting for many years. We are, this March actually made one year of makers of sport podcast. So pretty crazy. I, uh, I honestly thought when I started that I'd hit record and just upload a file to iTunes. How hard can it be? Right? Oh, how wrong I was. I've had some people that are curious. Uh, so to take you through just a little bit of the process, each show takes hours of preparation between writing a show outline scheduling the interviews and doing the research on the guests. Then there is the recording, which most of the time is the easy part. That is if Skype doesn't mess up, the internet connections cooperate, and my UPS man doesn't ring my doorbell causing my dog to go haywire. I've I've actually had that happen before or had to warn guests about that. Once a show is recorded, each episode is edited for coughs, throat clearings, odd noises, speaking mess ups, and more. Uh, sometimes it's edited for content if, if sections don't seem to make sense uh, or if we kind of go on a tangent, I'll pull that out. Usually that takes about four hours per episode. Luckily for me, I began actually sending this show to be edited by the great Aaron Dowd, a.k.a. the podcast dude. He's at thepodcastdude.com. Aaron edits uh, many podcasts in the design and tech industry. Uh, He also does a lot of work for 5x5.tv. That's Dan Benjamin and and those folks. If you've uh, been over there on their networks, there's some pretty good podcasts over there. He's not cheap, but he's my guy, and he frees up at least some of my time to focus on other things. So big thanks to Aaron. I think that's one of those things that you have to sort of take into account when you are are in a business or when you begin to outsource things in your career. And, you know, you almost can't look at the financial number on what it what it costs, but you have to think like how much is your time cost? And honestly, from a value perspective, I just felt like my time is worth more than the amount of money that I pay to have the show edited. It frees up my weekends. I don't have to stay up all night on Saturday nights and I get to spend time with my family. Anyway, after the show is edited and revisions are made, uh, I usually upload the show to SoundCloud and write the show notes. I hope you guys actually take the time to read those. It's the few paragraphs in the description of the file in your podcast player, or it's the text under the SoundCloud embed at the website. Usually for listeners that come directly to the site, I like to add a little something extra. 
um, in the show notes. And that usually includes some of the work of the guests that are being interviewed always with their permission, never take anyone's work and put it on your site without their permission, obviously, as they or their clients own the copyright. Uh, also, there is the designing of each little 160 by 160 pixel asset, etc., that goes into the show site or the updating the number and the podcast artwork. And that stuff is easy production work, but it's just that nagging little stuff that begins to add up. I'd estimate each interview episode is roughly eight to 10 hours of work overall, including the editing. Um, and here I am now doing one nearly every week with these halftime shows. So what, what was I thinking? Luckily for me, these are just 20 minutes of me, myself, and I. Uh, the longest part of these particular halftime episodes is the researching and writing part. Uh, but, you know, when I do research and write, it, it allows me to kind of get my thoughts out. It's almost my little way of blogging. And I also learn as well if I, if I do a deeper dive on a topic that I know some about but need to learn more about so that I can properly teach you guys about it. Uh, most of it uh, does come from experience, though. Um, um, but I edit these myself because for a show that basically makes $0, I can't afford to send these off to my guy, Mr. Dowd, yet. So that should give each of you a little perspective on what it takes to do this show and why each and every review, like, rating, comment, or tweet is inspiration to keep me going. So big thanks to all of you that have shared the show, written reviews, and sent me personal messages. You guys... Uh, that do that are the ones that provide the inspiration after a long day's design work um, that sort of keeps me going. And with that, we are going to take this episode 30 and talk a little bit about positioning. Positioning is very important in business and especially in entrepreneurship or freelance. As with most of these episodes, this will be short and sweet, and I advise you to do your own research on this topic as it is very complex and tough to cover in under 20 minutes. So what is it? Entrepreneur.com defines positioning as how you differentiate your product or service from that of your competitors and then determine which niche market to fill. Now, about a week ago on Twitter, at Makers of Sport, um, I asked a question to you guys, uh, what differentiates you in this sports niche? Uh, got a lot of responses on that and had some great conversation about it. There are a lot of very talented folks doing work in this sports industry. So if you, if all you sell is your service, meaning if you're a designer, you sell sports design, if you're a photographer, you sell sports photography, etc you are truly not distinguishing yourself from the other equally talented people. In business, unless there is some form of monopoly, you're always going to have competition. Now, that's just part of business. There are always going to be people or companies as good as you are or even better than you are out there doing exactly what you do from a service or product perspective. You have to determine what truly makes you different and you have to give this some deep thought. Now, unless you are truly one of the best in the world at what you do, and I'll go ahead and give you a little tough love here, you're probably not. It's not your skill set or your product that differentiates you. It's always something else. Maybe as a freelancer, it's your personality, how easy you are to work with. Maybe it's your ability to get things done quicker. Maybe it's a specific style you have that makes your work distinct. 
maybe it's your ability to be a unicorn and work in the web or in print and branding across multiple disciplines. Now, personally, as someone that doesn't necessarily specialize in one horizontal service, and I'll get into the whole horizontal thing in a minute, I pride myself on being a person who may not be the best at any one particular area of design or services, but I might be the, the most interesting or the best combination of a number of different services and skill sets. So because of this, in the past year alone, I've had the pleasure of working on sunglasses packaging, and NCAA schools, athletic branding, as well as numerous user interfaces for digital products. All of that in one vertical market, sports. Now, of course, I need to update my site or dribble, but you know what they say, the cobbler's children never have any shoes. I think that's the case probably for many of us that provide services. Anyhow, if I were performing the above tasks for more than one market, I'd be what is called a generalist. Now, being a generalist is a problem with most creative firms in the world. They will work on anything for anyone. And because that is the case, the creative industry gets saturated with these generalists and it drives the price down on services or products. Generalists typically compete on price. And it's like I said, unless you're one of the best in the world, you're, that's, if you're a generalist, you're probably competing on your price. Those that specialize in a vertical market rarely do, though, because most of the time, your industry expertise helps set you apart from other firms. So let's take a minute and talk real quickly about vertical and horizontal markets. Horizontal markets are typically the service or product that you provide. Think General Motors uh, and all the vertical markets that they serve. So trucks, sedans, vans, SUVs. Think about all the cars, the vehicles that they serve for different demographics. They sort of have something for everyone and they don't necessarily specialize in one customer market. Now in the creative industry, this might be print design, UI design, mobile design, photography, video, et cetera, whatever that service is. Sort of the full service agency model where you sort of do a little bit of everything. These are all services or products one is providing. Now, vertical market, however, is an industry. So just as General Motors provides many vehicles to multiple customer industries, Porsche focuses on one very targeted area of the car industry, the sports car. Now, this is their vertical market. Porsche I'm going to say Porsche or Porsche, however you say it. I'm from Kentucky, so a little bit of my uh, hillbilly accent. We'll just go with Porsche. It's still a competitor to General Motors. However, Porsche as a company decides to do one thing for one segment of the car industry and do it very well. Now, there's a book called Positioning for Professionals by Tim Williams, which I highly recommend, and I'll put a link of that in the show notes. Anyhow, this book lists these two car companies as an example, and it states that in the past decade, General Motors was the least profitable car company in the world. The company that was the most profitable, you guessed it, it's the one that positioned themselves in a vertical market. Now for us, the chances are, if you listen to this show, you are already passionate about providing a creative service in a vertical market. Now for us, that's sports. That's our vertical market. Now that is good news for most of us. 
But if you stay up to date with the sports design uh, or photography industries on Dribble, Twitter, Instagram, Behance, all those places, you'll see this niche is becoming quite saturated itself. So we might even need to position ourselves even deeper into our industry. Take Joe Bosack and company, for example. Now, you guys know that I'm a fan of Joe. He's a friend of mine, and, and I value um, him as a, as a colleague and friend and mentor. Now, his firm provides brand strategy and visual identity services to NCAA schools. Now, for that reason, Joe Bosack and company is known amongst college athletic departments across the country. Now, take, for example, my fellow Kentuckian Dan Simon of Studio Simon. Now, Dan pretty much has a foothold on branding in minor league baseball. These are guys that are positioning themselves even deeper into the sports industry. Tyson Beck and his posterizes.com crew specializes in digital art for basketball. Now, obviously, for Tyson, if you listen to his show, this has led to work in other sports. But the brand posterizes is about one thing, basketball artwork. These are great examples of positioning within the sports niche. Now, my personal positioning is the ability to provide design, branding, and creative direction across multiple disciplines in the college sports industry. Now, this doesn't mean that I will necessarily turn down pro sports work or any other sports work. It just means that I like to market myself and my services in college sports because of my deep understanding of that particular business. Now, even my lacrosse client, which is more of a consumer-facing client and not necessarily a school or, or a team. They focus on the lacrosse recruiting and training industry uh, in order to help kids get recruited to some of these NCAA schools. So it really falls in line with this positioning as well. I advise and recommend that you take some time this week to really think about what you want to do in this particular niche of sports and write one sentence that encompasses this. Do you want to do branding work in professional sports? Then don't list yourself as a sports branding designer. Now, I wonder how many of those are on Twitter or on Dribbble. But really determine what it is that sets you apart from other equally talented sports branding designers. There is a lot of parity in this world now. A lot of very talented people that are beginning to focus in this niche. Maybe uh, your difference is that you are a designer that provides strategic visual identities for professional sports. Now, if I'm choosing between a sports branding designer and a designer that specializes in strategic visual identities for sports, I'm going with the latter every time if I'm a professional sports executive. It just gives a deeper uh, understanding and explanation of what it is you do. Sports branding designer is sort of subjective. What does that even mean? Branding is way more than just design. Now, we tend to live in a small bubble in this niche, but I can tell you that there are plenty of sports-related creative jobs out there for you. Now, I've stated many times that I believe that there's plenty of business for all of us in sports, um, especially with the internet and, and how young, really, the, the internet is. Think about the number of high schools in your state right now. You know, thinking, thinking about the U.S., the 50, 50 states in the U.S., and wherever you happen to be listening to this. How many of those high schools use a logo or mascot that is completely stolen from a professional or college team? Probably many. I'd say maybe even most. 
I know schools in the state of Kentucky uh, are attempting to change their athletic identities due to this. And especially with the digital world, uh, you know, social media and some of these schools sending cease and desist. I have a brother-in-law who works for a, uh, an NCAA compliance department at a, at an OVC school. And it's, it's not, EKU where I went, it's a, it's a rival of ours, but he, um, you know, they send cease and desist letters to high schools that use their logo. But anyhow, uh, since they are beginning to kind of change their athletic identities, let's say they reach out to advertising or creative agencies in the Lexington area where I live. Now, who do you think has a better shot at that job due to, because of positioning the advertising agency that does car advertising, horse advertising, and basically any other business that's thrown at them or the firm freelancer or consultant that only focuses on sports is deeply ingrained in the sports industry has a podcast about the sports design industry and has already rebranded a high school athletic program before now that's a no-brainer lastly positioning allows you to be selective in who you work with now you may have to scale down at first in order to scale up so if you're taking on a broad range of work you may need to scale down your prices just to kind of get some of that sports work in your portfolio and to sort of develop a an expertise in that world if that's the type of thing that you want to do uh, it'll allow you to sort of build that client base but eventually studies have shown that a tipping point will occur when positioning effectively, and you will have the opportunity to say no to clients. You'll also be able to set and determine your price far higher than generalist firms. And even in some cases, you may be able to forego the RFP process. A few years ago, as an example, I was bidding on a project with a few colleagues of mine for a large convention center and entertainment venue. Uh, I'm not gonna say who it is, but you could probably guess who that is if you know where I live. Anyway, it was a web-based project, and myself and my colleagues were um, very competent uh, in, in what was needed, and we had extensive experience working on some, some fairly big projects in that world. We were competing amongst multiple firms and spent many hours preparing a response to this particular RFP. Now, in the end, we lost. You want to know who we and all of the other firms in this area lost out to? It was a company that was not from this area, but they only worked on convention center websites. Now that firm had positioned themselves to win most of the work in that market when competing against companies that weren't specializing in that particular niche. So to wrap up, please consider doing a bit more research on positioning, and I highly recommend reading two books on the subject matter. One I mentioned earlier, it's called Positioning by Professionals. Uh, I'm sorry, Positioning for Professionals by Tim Williams. And another one, which you can actually read for free online, is called Win Without Pitching by Blair Enns. Picking a market to specialize in is very scary when you are interested in many different creative endeavors and, and a different breadths of work. But I guarantee you that if you have the opportunity to talk to any firm, freelancer, or consultant, or person that has effectively positioned themselves in a vertical market, does not regret it from a financial standpoint or a connectivity standpoint. In fact, uh, it has become quite trendy in the Silicon Valley to write about the end of client services with firms like T. Hannon Lacks, which is a, was a great digital firm getting snatched up by Facebook, and a couple other firms have been purchased by banks, acquired by banks, and some different other, other industries. 
Um, I truly believe that with so many general client services firms in the world that positioning your work for a specific vertical market. So obviously with us, that's sports, but it could also be healthcare or, um, uh, you know, at higher ed or anything, you know, it's just a, just a particular vertical market. I believe this is the only way to really achieve high margins in the services industry for your business. And, and then also establish a foothold over generalist businesses. If you have any questions or comments for me on this topic or have suggestions for any other topics you'd like for me to discuss in these halftime episodes, then feel free to email me info at makersofsport.com. Next week's episode will be TJ Harley. TJ is the founder and creative director of Harley Creative. Before starting his own design company, TJ was the creative director of the Collegiate Licensing Company, which is a division of IMG. There he led branding and design for over 200 college sports brands that were part of the IMG client base. As always, please like, rate, and write reviews of this show on iTunes. You can get there by going to makersofsport.com slash iTunes. I'll also accept ratings, likes, um, or reviews on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever else you happen to be listening to this. We just got to 53 reviews, so big thanks for those of you that have went and hit that five-star or written a review. My next goal is 75. Let's get to 75. I do want to read a review recently. Uh, written this week by Nick uh, No K. So Nick hyphen no hyphen K. Nick with no K writes, this show places you in the room with creatives in the athletic design field and helps you not feel intimidated by their presence. Even some of the biggest names in the game. Amazing show and this is in all caps, no advertising. Thanks. That being said, can I resume listening guilt-free now? Nick with no K, thanks for the review. You, sir, can most certainly now listen guilt-free. I very much appreciate it. The rest of you freeloaders, however, go to makersofsport.com slash iTunes right now. Hit that five-star. And even better, uh, write something on there telling other listeners or myself how much you like the show and what you like about it. Lastly, Follow me, ask questions, or say hello on Twitter and like the Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash makers of sport. I'm at T. Adam Martin on Twitter and Dribble. The show is at makers of sport. Until next time, have a good week. Mm-hmm.